0: Bala Afshar is the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce, and as such, he is responsible for staying on top of all the trends in the digital space. Whether he's looking at survey data from Salesforce customers or keeping up to date with CIOs and tech leaders in the industry, Bala is constantly on the cutting edge of what's most important in the digital world. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Vala speaks to Ian about all the ways technology has impacted him at Salesforce and the new and emerging technologies like AI and machine learning, which he believes will dictate the future of organizations everywhere and what that means for CIOs and their roles moving forward. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.
1: Welcome to IT Visionaries. Fala, so excited to have you on the program today.
2: Really happy to be here.
1: So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the changing nature of IT, about leadership, about technology trends. IT leaders need to watch for 2019. We're going to do some imperatives, some what's keeping CIOs up at night, and we're just really excited to be able to share some insights. Can you share a little bit about your role at Salesforce and kind of the scope of responsibilities that you have?
2: Sure. My name is uh, Vala Afshar, and I am the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce. I became a Salesforce customer in 2003, and I've been with the company for three years. So uh, about 12 years as a customer running services, engineering, and ultimately sales and marketing before I joined Salesforce three years ago. My prior role was chief marketing officer of a technology company. You know, being a practitioner and user of the Salesforce customer platform for uh, over 12 years gave me an opportunity to really understand the growth levers and how companies can leverage technology, specifically CRM, to delight their customers and grow their business. And so my role today is I carefully listen to our trailblazers and our MVP community and folks that are really our change agents using technology for betterment and not just their company, but society as a whole. And I bring those learnings back to our technology and products group. I I try to write about trailblazers and, and, and use of emerging technologies. And I believe that the connector is to make sure that the folks in our engineering organization building our technologies can learn from our customers and prospects no matter how big and successful you are this is law of numbers there's always more smart people on the outside than on the inside of your company so my role as an evangelist is really to connect the outside with our salesforce engineers and and build a a better more meaningful product
1: yeah i mean one of the things that you've talked about in the past is that 52% of the Fortune 500 companies have disappeared since the year 2000. I mean, that's like astonishing that in less than 20 years, half of people, half of companies are no longer in the Fortune 500. Like, what do you think the reason for that is? And these are some of the things that I think, you know, why it's so important that CIOs need to be visionary and need to be at the forefront of, you know, transformation is to keep, Fortune 500 companies, you know, keep keep those companies in the Fortune 500. I mean, what what kind of things are you seeing that are cause for alarm?
2: Yeah, that's a very dramatic stat. And it should be an eye-opening uh, statistic for business leaders. You look at the most valuable companies just 10 years ago, forget about 20, just 10 years ago. And there was only one technology company amongst the top 10 most valuable companies in the world. Today, seven of the top 10 most valuable companies are technology companies. And I would argue they're data companies and data companies that are either software companies or operating like software companies, meaning agile, iterative, more releases, and really in tune with what the market needs. So, uh, you know, it's uh, a Harvard Business Review uh, post noted that every 10 business days, a company falls off the Fortune 500 list. So the rate of disruption is unprecedented. The World Economic Forum believes we're in the fourth industrial revolution. And uh, at a macro level, industrial revolution, meaning the merging of the physical and digital world as a result of greater adoption of emerging tech like cloud computing, social networking, mobile technologies, internet of things, those devices that connect to the internet above and beyond your smart devices like phones and tablets. And of course, artificial intelligence, which is in my opinion, the definitive technology of the 21st century. So CIOs, trailblazer CIOs, digital savvy CIOs have been watching closely The impact of these emerging technologies, the bring-your-own-device revolution started with the iPhone launched only 11 years ago in 2007. And, you know, at that time, if you had 100 people in a room, only three would have a smartphone. This is 10 years ago. Today, 91% of U.S. adults have smartphones. So the adoption has been at an incredible rate social networking the, the number one use of web today is social networking one in every five minutes is spent on a social network this has empowered and given consumers and business buyers more decisions more intelligence more options than ever before uh and and again this is not just on the consumer side but on the business and business buyer side the internet of things and ai are revolution revolutionizing every industry so again Understanding the rate of change, and I would say velocity, not just speed, but direction of uh, adoption of emerging tech. So going back to your question in terms of CIO imperatives, given this unprecedented rate of change, where no company is immune to disruption, no company, the employee skills development becomes one of the most important keys to digital transformation. So there is no better time than now for the CIO to be the next CEO, in my opinion. And because she has not just the technology skill set, but the business acumen to really drive transformation. But our own research, Salesforce research, we, we conducted research of over 2,200 IT leaders uh, directors, VP CIOs. And the challenge of skills gap is 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 very clear and growing. And in our research, we saw that the challenge from traditional software development projects to mobile application development, Internet of Things, data science, and AI, all of these were skills gap that existed. Uh, our research were also uh, confirmed when uh, Gartner did their own research for two thousand and eighteen skills gap in IT and digital security, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, all of those were the top three concerns in terms of skills gap that exists. So our research shows that right now, CIOs can't depend on just recruiting talent. You know, almost nine out of 10 companies believe that universities are not adequately preparing students. Even at the graduate level, to come on board and make an immediate impact. So I would say in 2018 and 19, you're going to see CIOs taking a leadership role, an active role in investing in not only reskilling existing employees, but as part of a recruitment effort, providing technical training necessary to interns and maybe even publicly accessible and affordable training to ensure that the right talent comes comes, comes on board. So that, that's clearly a clearly uh, uh, on, on the top of mind for CIOs. Our research showed that three out of 10 IT organizations today rate their ability to, to keep pace with technology trends as excellent. So three out of 10. So that's good. But the bad news is seven out of 10 don't believe they're keeping up. And the World Economic Forum, which I noted earlier, that, that talked about us being in the fourth industrial revolution, found that over one third of the core skills Required of the workforce by 2020 will be different from those today. So, as we're talking about IoT and AI, behind the scenes, the adoption of technologies like blockchain, like mixed reality with augmented and virtual reality, 3D printing, smart robotics, all these things are happening with the same acceleration and vigor. So, you know, the CIO has to really assess and baseline the skill set of her organization, and then, uh, again, actively invest in retooling, reskilling, and really partnering with uh, the organization as a whole to find ways to recruit top talent with the skill set that's needed to grow the business. And that, again, uh, requires budget and and a different mindset than what CIOs uh, had to face in the past.
1: Yeah, I mean when when you talk about the fourth industrial revolution, you've said in the past that now every company is a technology company, every company is a data company and every company must operate like a software company. What things can CIOs do now to ensure that they have the talent to fit those needs? Because if you are traditionally a non-technology company and you need to embrace, you know, that that statistic, the You know, if you're one of the seven of 10 that need to keep up with the speed of innovation, you have to fight for, you know, data engineers and developers and app developers and all of those things. Like, how do you, how do you compete for those skills? How do you compete for those candidates and how do you build capacity within your own organization?
2: Yeah. So that's a great question. And that's a, that's what I think ultimately separates the CIOs that are doing well as far as their transformation initiatives and ones that might be struggling. Scale is the name of the game. And I think the most successful CIOs that I work with have some common traits. One, there are no IT projects. they are only business projects. So they look through the lens of the business when they allocate resources, make commitments, provide sponsorship and leadership support. So you have to be able to look at your investment thesis and regardless of the technology processes, workflows, talent that you have, it's always aligned towards the company's strategic vision. And that's, you know, earning trust, growing the business, optimizing, reducing costs, delighting your stakeholders, employees, customers, partners, your community. Regardless of what the objective, alignment of your investment thesis to to business is key. The second is that... uh, these successful CIOs, they don't view shadow IT as a threat. When there is shadow IT, meaning when they are technologically oriented projects outside of IT, whether it's in marketing, sales, and again, today with cloud computing and, and, and the API and al- algorithmic economy, it's very easy for a line of business to fire up uh, capability without IT support. Of course, that's not something that strong IT professionals, including CIOs, would recommend. I don't necessarily, you know, recommend rogue projects without collaboration with IT, although I have to admit as a CMO, I did bring some capabilities into my business because I didn't feel the IT organization could keep up with the demand of my customers when it came to marketing. So this is why successful CIOs look at shadow IT as an opportunity to learn and understand the urgency in that the business isn't going to wait for IT. Your customers aren't going to wait for IT. So, for example, the demand for mobile app development is five times greater than what IT can produce today. Several research points to that inefficiency that exists. Remember, 90% of the time we spend on smart devices, we're behind an app. Only 10% were behind a web browser. So companies have to act like software companies, meaning if you're a company, you don't have a mobile app to engage with your customer, whether it's mobile payments or purchasing or integrated e-commerce capabilities, you're going to lose market share. And at some point, the clever CEO is going to realize it's the CIO's responsibility to ensure that a company stays up to date with technology. So if the first, you know, important imperative is skills development, recognizing that, you know, if you don't have the proper talent in your organization, digital transformation will go from hard to impossible. The second imperative, I would say, is acceptance and support of citizen developers, And this means scaling your capabilities beyond the walls of IT. And that requires a level of discipline and and maturity in an organization. But in our survey of over 2,200 IT leaders, the high performing IT organizations, 75% of these folks are exploring citizen development and they plan to shift at least some of their application development directly to the line of business. This is sort of been unheard of maybe five, 10 years ago. But that's what's happening today. So, in fact, IDC, an incredibly prestigious analyst firm, found that 10 years from now, in fact, nine years from now, their prediction is 2027, the number of active citizen developers will double to 10 million. And those citizen developers are going to write 60% of all new applications. Wow. Again, if I go back five years ago, unheard of. Fast forward nine years ago, you're talking 60% of all new apps are going to be built outside of IT Now, my company, our company, Salesforce, certainly has been on the forefront of developing platform, in fact, a, a leading platform provider. These non-technical IT folks can literally click and drag and point and publish a company mobile app, all the security, all the scalability, all of the f- rich feature functions, and post it you know, on iTunes or App Store within, within, within minutes, within hours. So, so that, that, that's important. And our survey showed three out of four IT leaders plan to shift their resources, developing these things outside. Now, I'm going to pause because I'm, gonna, I'm sure CIOs are listening to this and going, well, this is easier said than done. I mean, come on, I'm running a Fortune 100 company. How can I rely on some person in marketing creating a customer facing app for, for us? The fact of the matter is it is happening. (laughs) So we've got plenty of use cases and best practice documentation to support that thesis. And it's not just me representing a point of view of my company. It's my own research and certainly the analysts that speak to this. But, you know, you need to have good citizen development dictated by governance. So here's where the CIO comes in and she creates governance, communicates freely to the other lines of business so people understand that you know, a river without boundaries is a puddle. So there is governance there. I know successful CIOs are providing technology-enabled training. So many CIOs host Launch and Learn sessions. We of course have our online free curriculum called Trailhead. In the last couple of years, we've issued 8 million badges. So this is a competency-based, gamified online training. I know many CIO Trailblazers are leveraging Trailhead to create this uh, scaling through citizen development. So enabling training is is key. And then the last thing is identifying and actively engaging with citizen developers. So the CIO, she's creating a culture of innovation and turbocharging the organizations on the premise of co-creating value outside of IT. So if you want to be less susceptible to disruption you have to realize that in a hyper-connected knowledge-sharing economy, the fourth industrial revolution, the three currencies that matter most is speed, personalization, and intelligence. And all of those at scale is what differentiates companies that continue to grow and win and ones that you know, fall off the list. And this is not just about big companies. 80% of all employment opportunities in the last decade in this country has come from small businesses. So whether you're an IT director with a shop of 100 or you know, you're some of our largest clients at Salesforce with hundreds of thousands of employees, scaling speed, intelligence, and mass personalization at scale, those are currencies regardless of what industry you're in, regardless of the size of your business.
1: Well, you know, it's really interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard Eric Reese, the author of The Lean Startup, he says that the adaptability of of an organization and the innovation, essentially like if you were to build that kind of like innovation metric of a company is the speed in which one idea can get from the bottom level of the organization all the way to the top. I mean, you could kind of say, you know, and that book was written what, you know, I think seven years ago now, you could arguably say that the speed in which an organization innovates today is or the the metric that you could use is the speed in which an app could be created from the bottom that can get all the way to the top, right? I mean, like the fact that you can empower your workforce to create things that the problems that they're seeing around them, isn't that empowering? Like, isn't that exciting for CIOs? Obviously you use some level of control, but at the same time, I think people, the employees feel happier and more empowered. And then the executives also could feel kind of a little bit more empowered.
2: You know, absolutely. I mean, when we launched Chatter in 2009, I'm going to go back nine years ago, we talked about becoming a social business. And, you know, at that time, you know, it was only three years after Twitter launch, it was only five years after Facebook. So when we talked about social business, I don't think the masses, including ourselves, understood the power of social. And when you become a social business, when you practice radical transparency by creating connections inside and outside your business, but especially inside your business, what you see and you hear are ideas in the fabric, in the seams of the fabric of your organization. So, you know, ideas can come from an intern, not just your vice president or chief digital or blah, blah, blah titles. You embrace that the smartest person in the room is the room. And so companies that can take ideas, and ideas, no matter how big, no matter how great, are when they start, they're very fragile. They're susceptible to big egos. They're susceptible to indifference. They're susceptible to politics, to process rigor, to a poor culture. So lots of ideas uh, die before they make it anywhere. And of course, ideas that can survive and grow and thrive. And this comes from, you know, I'm fortunate to work for a company that's been named by Forbes the most innovative company of the last decade. Uh, in the last few years, we've been either number one or number two behind Tesla or Amazon uh, as the most innovative company in the world. So we have, a, we have learned a, a few things about how to be innovative. So being a social business, trust being our core number one principle, and then really practicing radical transparency and knowing that people are not afraid of, of failure, that they're afraid of blame. So if you can create a culture where you don't blame individuals for experimenting, in fact, you champion and you, and you encourage a culture of experimentation. And this is why I think part of the training and part of the citizen development, that's really a culture of empowerment. It's a part, culture of inclusiveness. So CIOs have to default to yes and then rationalize whether the idea has merit instead of defaulting to no and then creating that unnecessary friction But you also have to, and this is where I I go back to there are no IT projects or business projects, you have to have a culture of execution. It was Peter Drucker who said, you know, strategy is a commodity, execution is art. So how do you, if you're a successful CIO, what does she do to execute the third imperative, if you don't mind? And that's, I believe successful CIOs are going to play a very significant role in, in improving the customer Experience. And uh, we just conducted a global survey of uh, nearly 7,000 consumer and business to business buyers. The research was called The State of the Connected Customer. And the research came out with some really key takeaways. One was that 80% of the respondents, now we're talking 7,000 respondents around the globe here, said that the experience the company provides is as important as the product or service. So now you're a CIO and you have to ask yourself, so I'm going to challenge CIOs listening to this. What role do you play in improving the customer experience? And of course, the CIO has a two layers that she has to think about. One is the internal customers. How do you enable sales, services, marketing, IT, R&D, manufacturing, HR, so on and so forth, the lines of business, which are the customers of IT? What Even more importantly, how do you serve the paying customers or the business partners? If you are not actively involved in understanding the friction that exists today in every touch point with your customer, you as a CIO will either be displaced by another CIO or you're gonna have a companion called chief digital officer, maybe a chief data officer. Four years ago, if you looked at LinkedIn, there was about maybe 70 chief digital officer. Right now, I believe there's about 3,000 chief digital officers. And the chief digital officer has one foot in IT and one foot in different lines of business. I believe most companies brought in a CDO because the CIO was spending the majority of the time keeping the lights on rather than thinking about how do I grow revenue, how do I optimize costs, how do I delight my customers. Now, in the same survey, 51% of the respondents said that most companies fall short of their experience expectations. So half the people out there are telling companies that they're not happy. (laughs) And this goes back to why 52% of Fortune 500 companies have disappeared in the last 18 years. So in that same survey, six out of 10 respondents, again, 7,000 people here, said they stopped buying from a company because the competitor provided a better experience. So the competitor had a mobile app. The competitor had artificial intelligence-powered digital touch points. The competitor had e-commerce. The competitor... Use CRM to understand buying behavior so they could anticipate the needs of the customer and proactively deliver a product or service in that moment of truth. So again, as you said, (laughs) I guess paraphrasing what I said, every company is a tech company. Every company is a data company. And this is why CIOs play an active role. Last thing about the survey, 7 out of 10, almost 7 out of 10, 67% said this is beautiful news to CIOs. And frankly, CEOs, 67% said they would pay more for a greater experience. So half of them don't believe that they're receiving the experience that they expect. And nearly two thirds say, I'll pay more for it. So they're giving us the license to invest in technology and to set a new, new benchmark in terms of innovation. Now, I was surprised with the results of the survey because when we asked these 7,000 B2C and B2B consumer and business buyer respondents to talk about how their experiences has been transformed by technology. Listen to these amazing stats. 77% said their experience have been impacted by mobile apps. That doesn't surprise me. It's high. Eight out of 10, it's pretty high, but it doesn't surprise me. 60% said Internet of Things has shaped. So the, you know, the, the watch they wear, the glasses they wear, the sensors they wear, whether it's in retail or other industries, IoT is impacting their experience. Cloud computing, again, 70% said it's impacting, and that's, again, to me, it's tied to mobile applications and mobility. Now, these two are pretty surprising to me, and it should be an eye-opener for CIOs, because I consider these emerging tech, and yet the stats show that the adoption may be mainstream. 59% of the respondents said voice-activated assistants has impacted their buying process and their user experience. Now, today, one in five homes in the US has an Amazon Echo, which is incredible. I think it's around 40 million households. And the last thing is chatbots, 50%. One in two of the 7,000 respondents said chatbots. So they're using Siri, they're using Google Home, they're using Amazon Alexa. So what CIOs need to think about is If their company is providing a digital touchpoint with stakeholders, that touchpoint has to, at some point, recognize that voice is becoming the new user interface. I used to think before the survey, that's a two to three year, especially for enterprise customers. I now think it's closer than that. So, again, CIOs have to recognize that if you're keeping the lights on as your primary objective, and you're not an active champion in improving the customer experience, you will not earn a seat at the CEO table. And I think that's ultimately a miss because I'll go back to my first comment. I believe CIOs are most well equipped to be the next chief executive officers of their companies.
1: You know, kind of diving into a few of those things that you talked about, you know, you recently listed a list of 14. I guess for lack of a better term, you listed 14 tech trends that are coming out. The first three, you know, AI number one, IoT number two, blockchain number three. And we'll we'll post that full list in, in our show notes here. But let's kind of talk about AI for a little bit and machine learning. Obviously, you know, you think that this is already in place as the new normal, but what are you seeing for, you know, 2019? And maybe even talking about some case studies or success stories that you've seen of companies implementing AI and machine learning in a way that has helped transform their business or impacted new product launches or, or wherever? So,
2: so as someone who tries to, I'm going to say better understand the present so that I could have some level of authority to speak about the future, I first and foremost look at the venture capital space. I have a weekly show where I invite VCs to come and talk to me about where they're putting their money. And I used to think that the venture capital world invested in technology that would be four, five, six years before it would be mainstream in the enterprise. I no longer think that. I think today what the VCs are investing in will accelerate into enterprise adoption in a you know, one to two or one to three year at scale velocity. So a Venture Scanner is a site that tracks, you know, uh, invest VC investments in emerging tech. Right now, there's 2,252 AI companies across 13 categories from machine learning, uh, neural networks and deep learning, natural language processing, smart robotics. There's about 13 categories. Machine learning, obviously, being the biggest of the categories. And these 2,200 companies have fetched about $38 billion in funding just in the last few years. If you're tracking Salesforce unquenchable thirst for AI, I mean, we've bought a dozen companies that play in precision science and, and AI space, including purchases in DMP, like company like Crux, to BeyondCore, to, to a number, number, number of AI companies. And, and the reason for that is that what companies want to do is they want to graduate from answering the question, what happened? that's descriptive use of analytics. It's looking at the past to why did this happen? This is diagnostic use of analytics to once you can describe the past and you understand why, the next natural question is, what's gonna happen tomorrow? So now you're in the realm of predictive analytics. This is where you have to have algorithms. This is where you have to have clean data. This is where you have to have automation. This is where you have to look at structured and unstructured data to be able to accurately answer what's going to happen tomorrow. And then once you find yourself accurately predicting what may happen, knowing that this is a universal truth, all the data you ever have is from the past, you have no data from tomorrow, so those predictions are purely a function of your algorithms, you want to be able to mature to a point where you can answer the question... Given what I know tomorrow, what should I be doing right now? So you want to prescribe action to your sales, to your service, to your marketing, to your field organization, to your partners, and ultimately your customers. So that's prescriptive use of analytics. So this investment in machine learning, ability to scale at, at incredible levels of insights, is to go from descriptive to diagnostic to predictive to prescriptive use of Analytics and most people, when they think about AI, if they haven't read enough about it, they think about Terminator and, and Singularity and these, you know, big robots coming. But what we have to recognize is that, look, the next time you look at Netflix recommended movies, that's machine learning figuring out your likes and dislikes. In fact, Netflix now looks at different scenes in movies, noticing that oh, this person likes car chase scenes in the last eight movies that he or she saw. So let's recommend movies with car chasing. So it's no longer macro level, it's a drama, it's a comedy, it's a family movie. They're literally doing precision level recommendations. Spotify recommending music to you, Amazon recommending products to you. I don't even feel like I'm being sold to when Amazon recommends something to me because most of the time I'm like, oh, you know what, I I do need this thing. So this mass personalization at scale powered by machine learning, is in our most indispensable apps that we already use at home. When you're talking to Siri or Alexa, natural language processing is understanding and over time making predictions and getting smarter about your needs. It's building that anticipatory muscle that businesses need, shifting from reactive mode to proactive mode. So what businesses now recognize is the consumer behavior and expectation on these Again, indispensable apps that most of us use need to be at work. Why can't you ask your CRM, who should I call today in order to meet my sales forecast? And then have a predictive algorithm score all of the sales opportunities that exist in your pipeline based on most likelihood to close and also give you a set of recommendations, meaning you should visit the customer, you should email the customer. Think about in the B2B space, the average buying decision team on the B2B space is about eight strong. That's eight different personas that have eight different buying process maps. Traditional CIOs go to events, expect presentations, proof of concepts, engagements with vendor. Digital CIOs, about half the time, they're independently researching. About 40% of the time, they're socially collaborating with other CIOs. And only 10% of the time, Are they engaged with the vendor so 90% of the time a digital CIO is not engaged with the direct vendor when building their investment thesis so as a company as a marketeer how do you deliver the right content on the right channel at the right time to the right persona manually impossible so when we talk about customer journeys and creating real-time content understanding the behavior and needs of a persona If the eight average buying decision team has different personas, different buying process map, without AI, machine learning and automation, companies will not be able to do effective sales, marketing or service and support. In fact, I would predict, and I know this is a 2019 theme apparently based on your questions, but I'll give us maybe one more year of grace period. By 2020, if your company is not using AI powered enterprise applications, You're not doing marketing, you're not doing sales, and you're not doing customer service support, and therefore, you're highly susceptible to being disrupted and going out of business. And I'll support that final statement with, again, going back to our customer-connected survey. 7,000 respondents, 7,000. Customers are almost 10 times more likely. It's nine and a half to be exact. I like to round up. Customers are 10 times more likely to view AI as revolutionary versus insignificant. 70% of customers in our survey believe that AI will transform their expectations within the next two years. So they're in line with my 19-2020 prediction. And then almost six out of 10 are open to companies' UI to improve their experience. So the survey is coming back and it's saying, now, of course, Gartner named AI the number one more strategic Technology, amongst any other emerging tech that that we've covered so far. Forrester said that last year, AI investments grew by 300%. This is 2017 versus 16. And I just believe this is a $43 billion market by 2020. So it's not just me or my company's investment thesis. I've got the world's top analyst firms, surprisingly (laughs) aligned in that AI is absolutely make or break for companies moving forward. And this is why I I go back to, if the CIO, if she is as in tune with the impact of technology like AI and is able to invest by convincing the leaders of the business, and that convincing requires having the right culture, the right talent, the right process, and lastly, technology. So the critical success factors, even though we're all talking about technology, comes back to culture, people, and process. But if she can do that, this is a superpower. AI is a superpower. And, and those who ignore it are going to find themselves in jeopardy.
1: That's, I mean, that's incredible stuff. And I think CIOs have so much to think about with AI and machine learning. You just talked about it right there. 13 different categories of company. I mean, of just in AI, so it's you know I kind of I kind of look at it when we when we say like social media or something like that. Like social media was just a term that we kind of created to put a bucket into all these different kind of companies that are quote unquote social media companies, where it's actually just media. I think feel like AI, you know, has that has that exact same kind of piece where. There are so many different categories that are going to be stemming from it. It's important to stay up on all the different kinds.
2: Again, you need to have a good filter in terms of how you absorb AI news. I, as a connector, when I find a CIO that's interested in AI, I connect them with our customers that are well into their AI deployment and show them, look at how marketeers are now scoring leads Look at how sales professionals are having a guided process based on statistics and behavioral analysis and firmographic analysis. What I mean by firmographic is AI not only looked at the data that you input into CRM, for example, but if the company's stock is up or down, if the company has change in management, if the company has restructuring or workforce resizing, if the company has a new product launch or has had a brand event, positive or negative, in social media, all of these markers related to an account, to a company, is being analyzed by machine learning, and the probability of scoring that sales opportunity will go up or down based on all these micro-level changes at a macro level. So it's when I say it's automation on steroids... We all have blind spots. That's why they call them blind spots. <laughs> there are things you can't see on your own. So I like to think about artificial intelligence and really think about the word, the letter A. To me, it's augmented intelligence. It's not that you are going to be replaced by a robot. What you're most likely to be replaced by is someone else who's more proficient and comfortable with using AI. And that's ultimately, I think, why reskilling is important. It's not robots selling services and marketing for you, it's humans leveraging machine learning technologies to be more informed, faster, and really building what I call the anticipatory muscle of the organization and the individual in order to compete and win.
1: You know, what's actually interesting in your Netflix analogy or comparison or exploring how Netflix uses AI. Netflix uses taste clusters that are human crafted and they have thousands and thousands of taste clusters that they use and then match those, match you to a taste cluster. And it's like 2709B or something like that is like a taste cluster. And I think that those are the type of things where the combination of of the human element and the and AI can be really helpful you see the same thing with like security robots where they can detect anomalies better than any human can detect so they know things that as soon as they're something's going wrong they're like wait is something going something's going wrong here and then it raises that to a human to actually deal with the situation because we can deal with the complexity of a situation much better
2: that's right that's right now as i listen to you talk about this i envision the CIO, and she's standing there in front of her board of directors or, the, or her peers or the CEO or even her own team talking about this autonomous capabilities. And naturally for most of us, not necessarily the geeks like me or you, <laughs> and I say that affectionately, if you're not a technologist and you're thinking about these smart applications and robots being able to predict things there, is a, a, there could very well be a, an uncomfortable feeling that comes with that. Now, certainly in the last several months, we have seen companies show us that misuse of data can have dramatic impact, wide scale impact on society. And I think for the first time in 2018, we have all woken to this whole new world where data uh, can be used for great things, but it also can be used. For uh, not so great things, and so the last thing I want to say, and we started talking about skilling, reskilling your existing employees, and finding ways to recruit talent, uh, embracing uh, citizen developers, and scaling your business. Uh, We talked about the critical imperative of embracing artificial intelligence and understanding the the environment of disruption, how you can mitigate using advanced technology. But the last thing I want to say, and maybe the most important thing I want to say, after listening to you recap some of this incredible capabilities is that your company's number one core value and guiding principle must be trust. So the CIO is one of the most important figures, maybe the most important figure, in terms of establishing and maintaining stakeholder trust. And I'll remind you, stakeholder, employee, customer, business partner, and all the communities that you serve. So all of these things really hinge... On, on trust and, and the survey that I, I keep alluding to the customer uh, connected, connected customer survey of 7,000 respondents, there is this uh, kind of a personalization paradox that exists. All the respondents for the most part said, yes, I want contextualized interactions. I want product recommendations. I want proactive service. I want personalized offers and discounts. And I want consultative services delivered to me. And 95% of them said they're more loyal to companies that leverage technologies, like we mentioned, AI and machine learning, to deliver mass personalization at scale with speed and intelligence. But at the same time, 54% said they don't believe companies have their best interest in mind. So almost 95%, almost 100% want all the goodness that AI can bring, but one in two said, you know, trust companies have the right intentions. And 57% said they're uncomfortable with how companies use their data. So here's where the CIO comes in and she says, look, there's four simple things I need to do. I need to explain how the data improves their experience. So I got to make sure that our content, our products our services have radical transparency built into the narrative. I need to ask for permission before I use the data. That's internal and external customers. I need to be transparent in how data is used So if I'm going to ask you, so I was just talking to a CIO of of an NBA, National Basketball Association uh, franchise, and they said, we look at zip code to market to our customers. And I thought, wow, zip code, there's a use of little data, not big data. Uh, Why zip code? And he said, well, if the fans are within 50 miles of our stadium, there are potential season ticket fans. So we're going to have all this marketing trying to get more season tickets sold. But if they're outside of 50 miles, they're likely to just come for their birthdays, anniversaries, and one-offs. So we're trying to sell apparel and gear and maybe one or two game packages. So an entire go-to-market strategy on one piece of data. And and so another life lesson, CIOs can use little data, not just big data, to improve customer experience and go-to-market. And the last thing is give control over what data is collected. If a customer says, I don't want to use my data, you need to be able to delete that insight or record from your system. So CIOs, when it comes to, and of course, GDPR, which was passed in May, now will be a forcing function for companies to think about privacy and trust. But if the CIO isn't the main champion driving you to your North Star being trust and radical transparency and empathy and responsiveness, then your company is not going to be successful, regardless of what investments you make in technology. So it's critically important for the CIO to be a champion for trust. More so than any other imperative, in my humble opinion.
1: Paul, thanks so much for your time. Before we get out of here, we just got to do our quick lightning round. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. The lightning round is brought to you by the lightning platform by Salesforce. Fast and easy questions because building apps is fast and easy. Let's get into it. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun?
2: Twitter. Twitter.
1: You are so great on Twitter. A great follow. If <laughs> if if our listeners don't follow you on Twitter, highly recommend. Great follow. What is your favorite time-saving tool? Uh, Salesforce Inbox. Oh, what's what's the difference between Salesforce Inbox and regular inbox?
2: I can track, you know, emails being read, schedule, sync with my calendar. It's email management on steroids.
1: That's great. Do you have a favorite chatbot that you've used recently?
2: No, I don't think I have a favorite chat bot. I'm interested in the bot. My next sneakers will be Adidas, so I might I might be able to answer that uh, more clearly next time we speak.
1: Do you have a favorite team, sports or otherwise?
2: My favorite team is the Boston Celtics.
1: Boston guy. Boston um, guy. <laughs> were you born and raised in Boston?
2: I was. So number of championships with Larry Bird and then the original big three when, uh, we beat the Lakers in six in 2008. So I'm a big time Celtics fan. They used to be a client of mine as well. So I know the team and the ownership and they're, they're all around excellent organization.
1: Do you have a favorite podcast?
2: Favorite podcast? Tiffany Boba, one of my peers, and she has an excellent podcast with a variety of business leaders. So I enjoy listening to that.
1: How about favorite recent book you've read?
2: Favorite recent book is The Excellence Dividend by Tom Peters, who wrote the uh, In Search of Excellence in 1982. Excellence Dividend is the 18th book that Mr. Peters has written. He's sold over 10 million books worldwide. I can at random flip to any page in the new book and I have amazing content to share.
1: Wow. 18 books. Is that where are you going to be there someday? Are you going to have 18 books?
2: (laughs) Maybe after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right.
1: <laughs> um, favorite content or show that you're watching?
2: I don't know. I mean, I, content, you know, again, go back to Twitter. I, I've created my own personal learning network by uh, filters that I've developed where I get the best and brightest people providing insights to me in real time numerous times a day. So it's, my, it's the world's largest, you know, college so I get a lot of my content through my through my social stream. I, I guess that's that's where I would I would say.
1: Especially some of those videos that you post are so great. I love a lot of the innovations and in videos that you that you post. It's really good.
2: Yeah, it's. A, I think it's an important skill is to stay teachable, and best way to stay teachable is read and write. And yeah, if you have the right filters, this amazing amazing content that's out there that, that you can relate to and it's not always about technology I mean I've, I've shared videos on how the French make delicious butter and uh, 20,000 likes and shares later more, I found that a lot of people are interested in delicious butter so <laughs>
1: right What's your favorite one-day getaway in Boston
2: I like to go to the hotels around the Boston area that have indoor swimming pool take my kids, and we swim, order room service, and watch movies. We've done that the last three or four New Year's. Then that last three or four New Year's, it's been at a different hotel in Boston, overlooking the fireworks in first night, and just watching movies, looking out the window at the fireworks, eating, and enjoying ourselves.
1: Do you have a favorite Dreamforce moment?
2: Favorite Dreamforce moment for me of all time was in 2012, Mark Benioff, founder of Salesforce, was on stage and he revealed the three first connected products using chatter in the world. One was Toyota Friend, a car that was on stage. The second was Coca-Cola vending machine, which was connected and you could chat with. And the last thing was a data center switch from a company called Interesis, where you can chat to the switch and the switch would chat back I'm the principal inventor of that capability, I received the US patent for that last year. So my favorite moment was sharing the stage with Coca-Cola and Toyota and my company at the time, Interacist Networks, which nobody knew about, but we were the first network infrastructure product to be able to socially communicate with humans and devices. So that's my favorite moment.
1: Do you have a thing you're most excited about for the future of IT?
2: I think the most exciting thing in terms of future of IT is its future of business. How your IT organization goes is how your business will go. So if you ignore the function of IT, when every company has to be a tech company and every company has to be a data company, the most exciting part of IT is IT is the
1: business. I love it. Great last words. Thanks so much for, hanging out with us. And thanks for hanging out at the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the lightning platform by Salesforce leading cloud platform that makes building AI powered apps faster and easier with Salesforce. Now building apps is everyone's business. Learn more at salesforce.com slash build apps. Thanks for all that was great. Thanks I really so much. appreciate you coming on and sharing insights. We we need to do round 2 will be uh, we'll get into the rest of blockchain and all that fun stuff. Oh, uh, some yeah, IoT yeah, and yeah, and yeah. all I, that.
2: I've got I've got some really good use cases for blockchain we can talk about and IoT as well. So, yeah, that would be that would be great. That would be great.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out.
0: Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.